0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: I am Laura Coates, and this is CNN Tonight. Look, we're seven hearings in, and we learned a great deal about alleged election interference The president's refusal to accept his defeat at the polls, not accepting the counsel of his uh, real advisors, not the seeming imposters, but those who are actual advisors, not just yes people, wanting to tell him exactly what he wants to hear, even when there's clearly no evidence to support what he wanted to hear. But we have heard about the attempt to exploit the legal process, the Department of Justice, local election officials, and a relentless pressure campaign to what he called an attempt to stop the steal. Now, the fact that that nothing had actually been stolen, I mean, details, details, it seems. I'll leave you all to decide whether the seven hearings so far have threaded a needle or maybe moved your own needle, but we are seven hearings in, and we're learning tonight that the January 6th Committee's upcoming eighth hearing will now turn to the number 187. That's 187 minutes where the president of the United States was radio silent. I mean, crickets. Well, at least publicly. But what exactly was he doing for over three hours? I mean, after the Capitol had been breached and while it was being attacked. while well, officers were valiantly fighting to protect members of Congress and everyone inside that Capitol. As witnesses described this mortal combat, almost a medieval-like combat, just, just what was the commander-in-chief? You know, the one who swore to do this?
2: I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God.
1: That, That one. What was he doing for those 187 minutes while the American Capitol was under siege? I mean, so far we've heard that Mark Meadows said, well, he didn't want to do anything.
3: I remember Pat saying to him, Something to the effect of the riders have gotten to the Capitol, Mark. We need to go down and see the president now. And Mark looked up at him and said he doesn't want to do anything.
1: And why wouldn't he want to do anything? Why is that?
3: He doesn't think they're doing anything wrong.
1: Well, the committee seems to suggest that perhaps the reason he didn't think they were doing anything wrong was because, well, he inspired them to do it
4: he wants the american people to march on washington dc on january 6,
0: 2021. and now donald trump is calling on his supporters to descend on washington dc, january 6th, if if
5: necessary, storming right into the capitol.
1: And just what was that call to action? well, a tweet
5: Donald Trump's 1.42 a.m. tweet electrified and galvanized his supporters, especially the dangerous extremists and the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and other racist and white nationalist groups spoiling for a fight against the government.
1: And although it was 1.42 a.m., I mean, the late hour should not fool you. It wasn't some kind of one of your roommates' drunk dials people. And what happened January 6th? Well, the committee says... That was also no coincidence. I mean, you don't think that people just happened to have, say, the materials to build gallows outside the Capitol at the spur of a moment, right? Or that everyone just so happened to come prepared to march to the Capitol on the same date at the same time? Well, that's because the march to the Capitol was the plan all along. And if the testimony is right, fringe right-wing leaders knew it. People in the White House knew it. Twitter, Twitter employees may have known it. Donald Trump knew it. In fact, he repeatedly pushed to even join the march.
0: I was aware of the desire of the president to potentially uh, march to the uh, or or accompany the um, rally attendees to the Capitol.
1: Okay. of all the people who may have known it. He didn't make those plans public which might just have given law enforcement a chance to prepare that this was going to happen. And in the numbers that it did, we'll talk to one of the officers who was attacked at the Capitol in just a moment. But he knew before January 6th that a large crowd would march to the Capitol on what? On the day they were supposed to certify the college results. I mean, look at this draft tweet.
3: The committee has obtained this draft, updated, uh, uh, undated tweet from the National Archives. It includes a stamp stating, President has seen. The draft tweet reads, I will be making a big speech at 10 a.m. on January 6th at the Ellipse, south of the White House. Please arrive early, massive crowds expected. March to the Capitol after. Stop the steal.
1: Presidencies are defined in critical moments. For Donald Trump, it might come down to those at least 187 moments. The 187 minutes when everyone from his family to his advisors, again, the real ones, the people he watched on TV who were pleading with him, the 187 minutes when he seemed to have made a conscious decision not to use the tremendous powers of the presidency. And these powers... They were well-known to the president of the United States. I mean, he'd used them before, like when he mobilized thousands of National Guard troops in Washington, D.C., or dispatched unmarked DHS forces to cities all across the country, or when he mobilized the military to the border while championing them to use extreme measures.
6: Are they going to use lethal force. I've, I've given the okay. But you know, you're dealing with a minimum of 500 serious criminals.
1: Hmm. a minimum of 500 serious criminals. I'm thinking in my head all the people who at least have been charged or investigated from that particular day on January 6th. But serious criminals, he says, as opposed to, like what, the paramilitary forces moving in formation or those with body armor and, and zip ties on them walking into the Capitol or those whose actions would ultimately leave five dead and police officers left with lifelong injuries. I wonder why didn't this warrant a similar mobilization from the commander in chief? Maybe because he thought it wasn't personal enough?
3: They're not here to hurt me. Take the effing bags away. Let my people in. They can march to the Capitol from here.
1: Well, look, Secret Service, they did not listen to him, okay? They didn't just take the mags away, we're told, or let them all in. They were armed in some capacity, at least the ones he was referring to at that moment in time. But there was a mob that hung on his every word and and tweet less than a mile away. What made you decide to leave?
4: Um, Basically, when President Trump put his tweet out, we literally left right after that come out. Um, You know, to me... If he would have done that earlier in the day, 1.30, I, I you, know, you know, we wouldn't be in this, maybe we wouldn't be in this bad of a situation or something.
1: Maybe. And if that was the power that he held, I'm wondering why did he wait 187 minutes to tell them to leave, or at the very least to stand back and stand by? I recall him being reluctant to film the video. So it actually would take three attempts to get a video that that finally said this.
6: Go home. We love you.
1: Hmm. Well, my next guest was a top investigator for the January 6th committee. He left us a few weeks ago, actually, to launch an independent bid for Senate in Missouri. John Wood, thank you for joining me. It's nice to see you.
7: Thank you, Laura. Glad to be here.
1: Now, John, I have to ask, I mean, I have talked about this important moment one hundred and eighty seven minutes. Why are they spending this committee that part of time in the next hearing focusing on that? I mean, what about it is is so encompassing? Is it going to be the most inside look we've had to date about just exactly what the president was doing?
7: I think the one hundred and eighty seven minutes are absolutely crucial because there are a lot of questions that the committee's looking into about. You know why there were security failures the things that could have been done in advance possibly to have stopped this attack but once the attack was underway there was really only one person in the world who had the ability to stop it and that was donald trump and so the question is why didn't he do more to stop it what was he doing during that 187 minutes was he asked to do something more and did he refuse and if he refused why did he refuse and You know, the 187 minutes is kind of looked at it as bookends between when the the breach of the Capitol occurred and when Donald Trump finally uh, issued that statement asking people to leave. But as that clip shows, even that request that people leave was not very strong. He said something to the effect of, we love you, you're special, and then asked them to leave. So there are a lot of questions about why Donald Trump, who was the one person who had the ability to stop the attack, didn't do more sooner.
1: I mean, it was not a condemnation. We love you does not say, stop what you're doing. It's the wrong thing to do. It's kind of the idea, of maybe it's the, I don't know, the good parent saying, you've just destroyed this part of the house, but we still love you. It's not really the kind of thing you want people to say. But I do wonder about how much of this is new. You know, a lot of people have been watching, with, you know, on un- breath, the idea of each of these hearings. And you were a part of this investigative committee just weeks ago. How much of what we're learning now is new? And is there a fear And I know full well as a prosecutor, you know, primacy and recency. You want to tell them what you're going to tell them, you're going to tell them, you're going to tell them what you just told them. But there is a tendency that redundancy can come into play and undermine what's happening. How much of what we're going to hear next will be new?
7: I think we will hear new information at each one of the hearings so far. The American people have learned new information about what happened on or around January 6th. And so I expect the same to happen in this last uh, hearing that's going to be coming up next week. Uh, you know, <clears throat> it would be hard to top uh, the drama of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony from a couple of weeks ago. So maybe it won't be the biggest hearing ever, but I think it's really going to be significant. And it's going to help fill in those you know, pieces of the puzzle about what happened on January 6th.
1: One of the things we heard about yesterday from Congresswoman Liz Cheney was that um, the former president had called a witness that we've yet to hear from and that the person, I think, did not answer the phone or didn't go through. They told their attorney, who then told the committee about what's going on. There had been some breadcrumbs prior to this that had been laid out by um, Congresswoman Cheney and others that there was this notion of the former president's watching and the air of sort of, you know, intimidation of some kind. You know, I haven't yet, I don't know who that witness potentially is and whether it actually is intimidation, but had this been brewing for quite some time on the committee? Was it known that there were other aspects like this that was happening?
7: I think most of this is fairly recent information. Um, we did hear uh, from Cassidy Hutchison's testimony that she had been given a message uh, indirectly from somebody who was saying, you know, we know you'll be loyal or something to that effect. Uh, And then this information that the vice chair, Liz Cheney, just uh, announced at the most recent hearing. So this is new information. It's possible that uh, there have been efforts all along to influence witnesses, but I, I think it's something that either is fairly new and happening or recently came to the attention of the committee.
1: And finally, John, we're learning a little bit more about the the discussions happening between DOJ and the committee. They are not obviously on the same platform. Their roles are different. One is legislative. One is prosecutorial. There should not be the overlap, essentially, to maintain the credibility. But we're learning now that there is more of an effort to share information, at least from from the committee to DOJ. Why hadn't that been happening all along? Any idea? Can you speak to that?
7: Well, yeah, these these are two separate investigations with two very different purposes, and each of the investigations is ongoing. So I think the House Select Committee was reluctant to share any information while they were in the most active phase of their investigation. Now, of course, their investigation is ongoing, mm-hmm. but as they're wrapping up these hearings, they're getting towards the end of the active investigation and starting to focus on uh, report writing. And so the Justice Department is going to have to pick things up. They're going to get a lot of evidence from the committee, but they're also going to get a lot of evidence through their own investigative tools, and the Justice Department's going to have to make decisions about whether to bring indictments. My own personal view is that that should be as free of politics as it possibly can be, and I'm concerned that whether the Attorney General decides that charges should be brought or charges should not be brought against people like Donald Trump and his close associates, that he'll be accused of being political either way. And so the best thing that he can do at this point, I believe, is to try to take politics out of it as much as possible. And the way to do that is to appoint a special counsel, somebody who's very highly regarded and as apolitical as possible, who can conduct an independent investigation without any uh, influence or decision-making from the political appointees at the Justice Department.
1: So not Sidney Powell?
7: Not Sidney Powell, (laughs) no.
1: I got it. Thank you, John Wood. I set you up, sorry. I mean, my sarcasm was supposed to trend you, and, like, translate over the airwaves to you. I guess it did not. But anyway, thank you for being here. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> now, everyone, thank you, I, want you to, I want you to watch this and ask yourself, did it sound like the committee is sending a not-so-subtle message to the Justice Department? Listen. President Trump is a 76-year-old man. He is not an impressionable child. Well, ahead, the pressure building on Merrick Garland as the DOJ investigation goes on. Legal perspective and former Trump White House insiders join me next. This just in, we're getting brand new reporting on President Trump's actions following the January 6th committee's hearings. Got to go straight to Ryan Nobles, who's on Capitol Hill. Ryan, what are you learning?
2: Well, Laura, uh, we are learning tonight uh, from multiple sources connected to the January 6th Select Committee that the individual who Donald Trump is alleged to have called shortly after Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony and that person declined the call, is a member of the White House support staff, the professional sports support staff uh, that works in the White House on a daily basis. And that individual uh, is someone who normally uh, was not accustomed to getting phone calls from the former president. That's why they declined the call uh, and then referred the information to their attorney. You'll remember, Laura, uh, that the committee uh, provided this information at the end of their hearing on Tuesday night. They didn't providing any information about this person's name uh, or uh, why they believed that this was an example of witness intimidation, but it said that it was something that made them very concerned. And that is why they referred that information to the Department of Justice. This provides us a little bit more context as to why they were concerned. This was someone uh, who was not uh, in regular contact with the former president, but it is someone who had unique insight into what was happening in the White House during that period of time and specifically aspects of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony uh, that, that they could either corroborate or uh, maybe uh, say something different about. And so that is why when they you know received this call uh, that they were concerned, declined it, and then uh, referred that information to their attorney. Now, we know that the committee has had some communication with this individual. We don't know how extensive that communication is. Uh, The chairman of the select committee, Benny Thompson, told us earlier today that this person has not been formally deposed. Now, that is different, Lori. You you know this better than anyone as an attorney. That's much different than an informal conversation that is not under oath. Uh, The committee has had numerous uh, conversations like that with other witnesses that don't necessarily rise to the level of a deposition or public testimony under oath, which we have also seen. But this is significant because it does give us unique insight into why the committee thought that this was a problem and why uh, the committee decided to bring that information to light. Uh, Chairman Thompson also told me earlier today that we should expect to learn more about this phone call and why they believe it is a problem uh, in the days and weeks ahead. So this is a significant development, something that many people have been trying to figure out. And we can now report that the person who received this phone call was a member of the White House support staff who at least had some knowledge uh, of Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony.
1: Laura. Ryan Nobles, well done. Thank you so much. Let's bring in our panel, Elliot Williams, Olivia Troy, and David Urban. Okay, first of all, they still call this person a witness. So my ears peek up immediately. You hear a witness, not someone I hadn't heard from before, a member of the White House support staff for learning, someone who was not accustomed to getting calls from the president, declined the call. I mean, I would, be, I would my personality, I would have answered it, probably <laughs> hit record and had everyone listen to it as well. But that's just me. Elliot, the idea yeah. here of having this call come in. What do you think about this?
6: Oh, it's big. But unlike you, Laura, I see any number I don't like much of the chagrin of my family. I pretty much screen everything. So, you know, different people, you know, I don't know if I would take a call. Needless to say, look, this is a big deal for uh, the president's intent, which is the one thing, the big thing you need to prove to get to witness tampering. Does the person intend to delay, prevent, hinder, tamper, or get in the way of somebody else testifying? Look, if this were Ivanka Trump, or if it were Mark Meadows, or another person that the president was trying to call, it might not have been so alarming that he was picking up the phone, even if they were to be a witness in this proceeding. The fact that it appears to be a junior or support staffer ought to raise alarm bells for everyone. So again, we talked about this just the other day on the program. Just looking at the identity of who the person might be could really go far to uh, getting close to a witness tampering, at least investigation.
1: I mean, the idea that it's tampering or that intimidation in some kind—the idea—I mean, it's not the most shocking thing in the world, right? That you're rolling your—he's like, oh, eh, well, so you're so shocking so, to so, you. so. Listen,
4: I love Elliot's enthusiasm, <laughs> right? But if, if you know. Number one. So if it was uh, if it was a support staff person, I'm not quite sure how they're categorizing that, right? right. I saw right. I saw Sheila Craig had testified at some point, who was the White House photographer, right? So,
1: we haven't heard from her. They said that. so maybe it's right. Like so, we but, don't but know. so but or but, him. but I'm saying so, so,
4: so. I'm not quite sure maybe. who it was. So but 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 so just hear me out. Yeah. So when they say the president called and I declined the call, like I, I have to tell you, like your phone doesn't say it doesn't say Donald <laughs> Trump POTUS on your phone. So I'm not quite sure how they knew. It was the oh the president called. I declined. right? Well, here's the thing. But so, here's so I'm the thing. Well, sure. They knew, they knew <laughs>
6: enough to call their lawyer yeah, when but, they got the call. Again, and- if,
4: if here's the characterization I just heard. Yeah. It's someone who was not used to dealing with the president, not right. used to being in those circles, sure. right? So it, you know, the, currently the president's assistant is, is Molly Michaels, right? So it, you'd get a phone call perhaps from from a number of, from either her phone number or a number that you'd recognize, right? So if the, this is why it doesn't kind of I'm kind of questioning like how do you know? It was the president. How do you know it was the president's assistant? How do you know it was coming from, the, from, from, from uh, you know, Bedminster, Mar-a-Lago? I,
1: I'm not David, quite sure they know David, are you
3: skeptical about something? Are <laughs> no, you skeptical? I, I'm just saying. This I, is, I, this I, is I, breaking I, news. I, Olivia, though, on I'm this God. point, God. I, mean, so you, I don't know. I will say, when I, when I just heard that, honestly, my, my first reaction is, okay, he's worried. He's hmm. worried about this, what this person knows. And so that, to me, stands out. Because why are you reaching out to this individual? What is it about that person Whatever they know, whatever they saw, whatever they witnessed, are they the person? Was it the photographer? Are they the person that manages White House communications? Where they know the switchboard? Where they know the calls that happened, the calls that didn't, the inaction, Mm. the dereliction of duty? There, do they have firsthand testimony in terms of that? He's probably aware of that. Given Cassidy Hutchinson's damning testimony, knowing Trump, they're going down the list because this is how it works with this inner circle. I've seen it firsthand. They go down the list and say, who's vulnerable, who could turn, what information do these people know, and we got to get to them first, is what I'm thinking. That's where my thinking is. Uh, again, went. I just
4: don't know how we know it's the president. No, 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 but right.
3: I don't know. Okay, let's just it's assume. Like, it's with, like the thing,
4: it's like, the, I'm in the house, yeah. right? It's be
1: it's you're right. We don't, I don't have enough, I mean, I, I couldn't charge this no, at, at, that no. at all. But let's assume, for sake of argument, there's some foundational reason that they knew that it was the president of the United States. Okay, let's assume that for a second. And I know it's an assumption and they have to connect the dots for me as well. If that's the case... Should he be worried?
6: Yes. And look, and I want to be clear, he's not, Donald Trump's not getting arrested tomorrow for witness tampering. And and I'm with you, Laura, you could not charge this right now. But look, I was at the Justice Department a long time and have dealt with witness tampering cases. And during an ongoing proceeding, number one, you have the Justice Department investigating all of this. Number two, there was a hearing yesterday or the day before um, in which a number of witnesses came forward and and it's ongoing And a call from someone who might be the target or subject of this to a junior staffer? No, man. uh -uh. But if he knew, but at least suspicious. I I think of all the dots
4: and of all the dots we're trying. This committee's trying to connect, right? On on Mm -hmm. these hearings, yeah, they get they get more tenuous and tenuous, right? I mean, this is like. The, the, again, we don't know what the president called. Was it his assistant it called? Who knows what the president said? They didn't take the call. How do you know what he was going to say? You can't I, charge him with anything. I that really either.
1: feel like, David, this may have been a song called It Wasn't Me by a man named Shaggy. I really, a part of me wants this soundtrack by playing way, that is a for good the airwaves. It, it, it's, a, it's a good song, but it could very well be the next step in this. I don't know your karaoke style. If you're, if you're doing that, I'm going to be there for it. But my, my, I have a lot of ifs. If it were the president that actually called... If the president knew this person was a witness, mind you, we haven't heard from the person yet, so we don't yet right. know. Um, again, this is why I want to hear what the call was, but yeah. it made it raised enough alarms to have them contact their attorneys and to be able to then t- tell the committee. And again, there's been breadcrumbs before about the idea of the subtle ways of, hey, so-and-so is watching, want you to know they're watching you innuendo's not going to cut it the other day just, in a legal courtroom, I know, I, I, but...
4: Again, I, I sat here for the first impeachment, the second impeachment,
6: bombshell indictment tomorrow, right? Never comes. I'm just picturing mm. seditious conspiracy. It wasn't me witness tampering. <laughs> it wasn't me obstruction against the United States. It wasn't me... Why
1: is I mean, yours go- a Frank Sinatra rendition? Oh, no. it, Laura, come on. I'm no. just kidding. Stick around. We'll choose everyone's karaoke songs in a moment. We're going to continue this conversation after a quick break. I'm going to hear them all sing. All right, let's bring back Elliot Williams, Olivia Troy, and David Urban. We've got some pretty big news out from Ryan Nobles um, saying that it seemed to be a White House staffer, they believe, who was the person that received a call they did not accept, told their attorneys about it. They then told the DOJ. Olivia, you mentioned that you think whoever it is, no matter what happened, it indicates the president was scared. I mean, you know how this White House operated and the idea of assuming it was the president that called. What makes you think that they're so frightened?
3: I think it's paranoia by him. I think they're concerned. I think that they're worried that somebody is going to corroborate what Cassidy Hutchins said in her testimony. I think that may be part of it. Look, and I think it's twofold, too. I think that individual is probably nervous and scared, too. I mean, I think I think, I think that's probably why they referred it to their attorney. I mean, I think they're probably concerned. Um, they're worried about what happens next. Um, if the president, you know, if the former president's calling you, it's probably not for a good thing, especially during the hearing, we saw that there had been threatening messages and messages of intimidation to some of the witnesses that they displayed. And so I think when you take that all into concept, I'm thinking, he's thinking, okay, who else knows about this that can justify it or corroborate her information and make it look even worse for him? I mean,
1: you're nodding along. You think there's fear at some point?
4: again, I don't think the president fears much, unfortunately. right? I really don't. <laughs> Nailed, I just don't. Valid point. I don't. I don't think the president fears much. I don't think he looks at it and sits back and I don't think he's sitting back at home saying, I'm afraid of this or that. I don't think he think he looks at this as a challenge. I think he looks at this. You know, he, he's been through all these impeachments and, and, and nothing's happened. And every day, as I said before, right, there was indictment coming down. This is going to be the end of Donald Trump. Here it comes now. No, wait till tomorrow. It's the end. right? So again, I, I think Donald Trump s- sits and looks at this and says, OK, very interesting. I think uh, you know, most Republicans, as I've said, across America aren't paying attention. They're not tuned in. They're kind of. They think this is, you know, like first impeachment, the second impeachment. They think this is just kind of a, 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 a you know, more of the same. And
1: I don't. I, I, I don't. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. want to interrupt you, but I want you to explain more because I, a part of me just can't buy that. I mean, I, I understand I, oh, the yeah. idea of a of a, the presumption of a partisan witch hunt. I get that, but I mean, up until a few months ago, I mean, Liz Cheney is no is not really a rhino. Adam Kinzinger, I mean, is, is a Republican. I mean, and these are Republicans who are testifying. I, I that doesn't I, like, matter,
4: you think? No, listen, I don't dispute any of that, right? And I think that some of the, the testimony that we've heard is very compelling, right? watching some of these folks come up there and, and, and say their piece. I don't think they're not telling the truth. I believe everyone's telling the truth. I just think it doesn't matter to a large amount of people. I think that again, they they're they're weighing um, they're looking at their current economic circumstances, their circumstances in their life, right? Um, the, we, the previous um, se- some previous segments today said, you know, look how bad Americans are, are feeling about the economy, about the future of our country, about all these things, mm-hmm. and they weigh that against this guy Donald Trump. Well, he may have done some things wrong. I know he's not perfect, but things were better then. My my 401k was better. My you know I could fix my washing machine. We didn't have all these bad things happening. I, I just think that that's how people live in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not. There are a great deal of people that are concerned about what happened on January 6th, right? They do find it troubling, but I don't think they make the connection directly that there's a nexus between Donald Trump saying, do this, and then people, you know, breaking through the windows of the Capitol. They're they're grown adults. That's
6: not, but here's the thing. So talk about the first impeachment, which was, I think, a little more abstract, international. People didn't have their heads around it. There was a concrete act that happened on January 6th, and it's not just charging people breaking through the wall. You are talking about when we were having our uh, throwback to 2002, I named two or three crimes. There's still also obstruction of justice, intimidating an officer. I just wrote these down. Obstruction of an official proceeding, obstruction of Congress. All of these crimes that came up uh, in connection with January 6th. And so it's a fair criticism that, you know, you have vandalism charges and destruction of property, but a whole number of crimes that people watched on television took place. So I don't you know, I think it's it's fair that Trump derangement uh, going back to the first impeachment is something that maybe people don't don't really have much use for anymore. But this is something different.
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, obviously, the committee's job is to help enlighten and give the information. They're not prosecutorial. Right. But their job will be to essentially speak to the court of the public electorate. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back in a moment, everyone. But what, we, what do you and what do we all make of, of this moment? I mean, this one, when a convicted rioter went over to some of the officers and apologized. Is this committee doing enough, do you think, to investigate how so many officers were even put at risk? One of those officers is going to join me next and talk about it. Stephen Ayers says he was a family man with a stable job before taking part in the January 6th attack. But after buying into the 2020 election lies, he says he answered President Trump's call to come to Washington and march on the Capitol. After testifying yesterday, Ayers apologized to some of the officers who were assaulted by that mob. And that includes Michael Fanone. He's also the author of a book coming out this October. It's called Hold the Line, The Insurrection and one cop's battle for America's soul. Michael, good to see you. I mean, I, I have to know what your reaction to that moment was. I was watching it in real time, watching all of you, and I I wondered what you were thinking in particular.
8: I really wasn't thinking anything. I was caught off guard. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely was not prepared for that. No one had let us know uh, that that was going to take place and, um, you know, I think a lot is being made about that moment. And uh, I don't know, I'm I'm more concerned with um, focusing on the future of our democracy and ensuring uh, the security of this country. Um, I think there's time for, you know, kumbaya and holding hands. We can do that later after we've held uh, people accountable for January 6th and for the the crimes that were committed that led to January 6th. You
1: know, in a way, what you describe is pretty selfless in line with what you'd expect from a police officer who would think it's not about me, it's about what's happening around. But to date, we have seven hearings in. We haven't really heard much except for that very first public hearing many months ago from officers like yourself testifying on the Hill. Do you think that the committee has given enough attention to what you all faced that day, and any shortcomings about why there was such an outmanned uh, and and outgunned and outweaponed force that day? That day.
8: I, I mean, yes and no. Like the committee dedicated an entire hearing to officer testimony. Uh, they also included uh, Carolyn Edwards' testimony in the first of the, um, I guess you know, most recent set of hearings. Um, so, I guess in that regard, I mean, they have represented law enforcement proportionate to um, the, you know, the other hearings that they've had. Uh, but that being said, I don't think law enforcement's contributions to um, securing the Capitol on January sixth uh, have been appreciated appropriately by uh, by anyone. Um, most importantly, the current administration.
1: You know, on on that note, and I want to hear more about that, I want to play for you with Sergeant Gunnell. Um, We know that he is an officer who sustained injuries that are unable to be overcome. He cannot return to the force. We watched him. It was heartbreaking to see the reaction even now that he cannot be a part of what he wanted to do. Let's listen.
6: It's a uh,
4: life-changing moment for me. Um, I mean, I I had to Plan now. Instead of celebrating a promotion, uh, that since I passed the lieutenant test, now I had to uh, plan my retirement uh, and and my life with with those injuries. When I leave the department, uh, it's not on under my own terms.
1: I mean, what is your reaction? You say this administration as well not doing enough to appreciate and recognize me. Could more be done to recognize, say, what's happened to him? I mean, he's not leaving on his own terms. He was forced out based on what happened on January 6th to him and so many others.
8: Yeah, I mean, I knew Gnell uh, personally, obviously, and I mean, I'm pretty well versed in his experience. Unfortunately, it's it's very similar to many officers' experiences uh, when they suffer uh, career-ending injuries. Um, you know he's had to jump through a lot of hoops with U.S. Capitol Police. Um, I mean, it's very similar experience with my former department. Um, you know, unfortunately, the the agency uh, isn't you know a uh, hand holding, loving uh, entity. It's just an, an agency. And it works the same as most government agencies. It's uh, it's indifferent to the personal experiences of its employees.
1: Wow, what could the administration be doing?
8: I mean, listen, the police officers that responded on January sixth are solely responsible for the safety and security of the members of Congress that day, their staff. Um, Yes, we lost lives. Uh, Fortunately, it was, you know, only a few lost lives. Uh, However tragic, um, we did not lose any members of Congress, which we've seen over these hearings was the intended goal of many of those who came to the Capitol that day. Um, I, you know, I was disappointed to see that, um, you know, President Biden didn't include uh, any members of the Metropolitan Police Department or the U.S. Capitol Police, for that matter, in his recent uh, honoring of, you know, or awarding of presidential medals of freedom. Uh, I know that, you know, the congressional medal was given, uh, but only really in an honorary fashion. Um, you know, we give awards, uh, in the military and in law enforcement for a purpose, and it's to recognize the sacrifices of the individual officers, uh, members of the military and their efforts. Uh, and unfortunately it, it's just fallen by the wayside, um, whether it's political or whether it's just um, you know, indifference or, or moving on to more important matters.
1: Michael Fanon, it's important to hear from you. Thank, Thank you, you. Thank you. Well, I wonder, will these be your choices in 2024? They look awfully familiar, don't they? Well, look, new polling shows that neither of these men should assume anything is certain. The surprises in the numbers next.
7: Are you predicting a
1: Biden-Trump rematch of 2024?
6: I'm not predicting, but I i would, uh, I would not be disappointed.
1: Well, Biden says that he wouldn't be disappointed in a 2020, 2020 rematch in 2024, but is it what America wants? David Urban is back with me along with former Democratic Congressman Joe Kennedy. Joe, David, glad you're here. Let me start with you. Um, do people want that rematch?
5: Uh- I certainly want Joe Biden to be our president in 2024 (laughs) through 2028. And look, that decision as to what uh, former President Trump is going to do is up to Donald Trump. And then it's up to Republicans to decide whether they believe that their standard bearer should be Donald Trump yet again. I mean,
1: is it a good thing if if Trump runs, if that's a rematch? Or is it the idea of it's Biden and Trump and Biden if it's Trump, but if it's not Trump... Look,
5: I think it's a disaster for our country if Donald Trump sets foot in American politics for another second. So, no, I don't think it's a good thing for the country. I do think tactically for the president, President Biden, that is, one of the president's greatest strengths, you talk to almost any Republican, they will tell you it's his decency. He's a good man. They disagree with his politics, his policies, but he is a good man. I believe one of the central reasons why President Biden won won the presidency was because of the contrast between his decency and his dignity and his respect for other people versus the chaos and disrespect and obscenity that is Donald Trump. And that characterizes much of the the comments that you heard earlier in the show. And so I actually think that matchup accrues to President Biden's benefit enormously.
1: Well, but... but there's decency, say, then there's inflation.
5: I was going to say, there's
4: decency. Look, every, <laughs> Joe Biden ran on a bunch of promises and a bunch of things that he was going to do. And he's, mm-hmm. look, he is a, he's, a, he's a very nice person, right? No one's going to, no, I'm not going to knock Joe Biden as, a, as an individual, but he's doing a terrible job as president, right? You can be a nice guy and still be a terrible president. And he's doing a terrible job. And I think it, it, the, the poll numbers show that clearly. Um, he, he ran on being a uniter, bringing people together, right? Bringing America together. I'm not going to have these, this desi- div- divisive in America. It became more divisive, right? I think people wanted, if Biden would have come in and done Build Back Better and just done a couple small things instead of trying to do this incredibly progressive agenda, you, you guys would have been in power for a 100 years. Instead, he came and he tried to do too much, and he didn't get anything done, and now you have a, don't, you have, don't have an blowback.
5: opinion about this, no, right? no, Let's correct that record. Of it. Of it. Have no response. <laughs> let's to
1: that issue let's at correct all.
5: the record. So first off, he came in in the midst of a massive global pandemic disaster. Oh, oh Trump lost in the massive pandemic. Yeah. Pandemic. So he came in and they passed a massive rescue, rescue package. COVID yeah. is now far down people's concerns because. The, of the Trump, because of the Trump vaccine? And and Trump deserves his administration deserves credit for the development of those yeah. vaccines. But with regards to a vaccine rollout, it was a disaster under the former president. Right? President Biden, I think that the administration did a much better job there. They then passed the largest investment in our nation's infrastructure, or in our in modern history, in infrastructure. Every week for four years under Donald Trump was infrastructure week. It became literally a tagline and a joke. Right? They right. the and, president and so- has continued, he came in, in a mess, he's continued to deliver. The, the fact is that if we had Republicans that were willing to address some of these major issues between climate, between uh, longer-term investments taking on China, they are now holding hostage a China a supply chain bill to try to strengthen American manufacturing to saying, if you do something on climate and lower health care costs, we're not going to work with you on a bill that we passed. That's crazy. Your, but, you Your know, bobblehead I was say, going Congressman, you, you can say all those
4: great talking points, and they're great, right? i I'm saying he's, he's good. That? He's good. <laughs> listen. He's really good. At it. But the American people aren't buying it. Right. It's simple as that. Right. They're just not buying it. They're not buying it. They're just not buying it. And that's why you're going to see all your former colleagues be unemployed in a few months. Right. They're going to all be looking for jobs because. Nobody in America wants this agenda that's being pursued by the Biden administration. They just don't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be losing all these seats. There wouldn't be this fear amongst Democrats nationwide. There wouldn't be people looking for a new standard bearer other than Joe Biden in 24.
5: So, Lord, the poll that you referenced actually has Democrats up 41-40 in a national One, one poll, New York Times, 41-40, yeah. <laughs> not that
1: great, but go Not ahead. that
5: great, but that, it, it's a poll that has it basically even. And as disastrous as my good friend here says things are for the current president, he beats Donald Trump in that poll.
1: Well, I mean, that may have been oh, the <laughs> mic drop. Hold on. You, you gave him a atta boy. Got to get up. Go. Joe Kennedy, David Urban, thank you so much. Thanks for watching, everybody. I'll be back tomorrow. Don Lemon Tonight starts with, right now, of course, you know, Don Lemon.